Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading the whole of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is temporary, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is God's word. Why we should all speak out. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Professor David Short. He was uh, the Queen's physician up in uh, Aberdeen, a very famous physician, very eminent. One day, he overheard some people talking about him, some of the staff, and they're saying, oh, what a great person he is. So pleasant with the patient, so knowledgeable, uh, such a good diagnosis, such a good researcher. But he noticed that they didn't mention the fact that he was a Christian. He then realized that much of what he'd done in medicine had been for his glory and not for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Now, the Bible teaches that we've been selected to be Christians in order that we might glorify the Lord Jesus. Trouble is, in this country, 
80% of churches are becoming smaller and older. We're, we're not making a great impact. Yet the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, originally given to the 11, but passed on to us, teaching them, that's us, to obey everything I've commanded you, is still relevant to us. To them is us. Now, when Paul wrote this uh, letter, this second letter to the Corinthians, and it would help if you could open your Bibles at it, he defended his apostleship because he recognized that the very gospel was at risk. Now, it's clear that his life's passion was to share the gospel with as many people as he could. It's a, a great example. What we need to look at is what is the we in this chapter. We stayed Christians. We've got to learn sensitively to speak out again. Jesus teaches us that many people in society are heading for hell. They're turning their backs on God and his son. Do we really care? You know, General William Booth, he founded the Salvation Army. He couldn't be accused of ever mincing his words or doing anything half-heartedly. But he reckoned that if only the future officers in the Salvation Army could get a grasp of the urgency, the importance of winning people for Christ, he'd have done a great job. He longed to be able to hang his future officers over hell just for a few minutes so that they could be motivated in being witnesses for Jesus Christ for life. Let me read an, an article written by uh, an organizer of a missionary conference. This is uh, what she wrote. I was helping to get up a big convention and was full of enthusiasm over making the session a success. On the opening day, my aged father came as a delegate to the convention, sat with me at luncheon in the hotel. He listened sympathetically to my growing accounts of the great features that were to be. When I paused for breath, he leaned towards me and said, whilst his eye followed the uh, stately movements, daughter, I think that big head waiter over there is going to accept Jesus Christ. I've been talking to him about his soul. I almost gasped. I've been too busy planning for a great missionary convention. I'd not time to think of the soul of the head waiter. When we went to my apartment, a Negro man was uh, washing the apartment windows. Jim was honest and trustworthy and been a most satisfactory helper in my home. Only a few moments passed because I heard my father talking earnestly with Jim about his personal salvation. And a swift accusation went to my heart as I realized that I'd known Jim for years and never said a word to him about salvation. And so on, a carpenter, a Jew over the road. 
Yet these very opportunities have come to me also and have passed by as ships in the night while I strain my eyes to catch sight of a larger and on a more distant horizon. I could but question my own heart whether my passion was for souls or for success in getting up conventions. Now, as we read this chapter in 2 Corinthians, the question just keeps coming up. Is Paul referring as we to the apostles, or is he referring to the ministry of all Christians? Now, Paul obviously recognizes as an apostle, he's been given special authority. He's uh, a preacher. He was told to write down what Jesus had shown him. Yet, he considers the role of being a messenger for Jesus Christ as being a common responsibility for all Christians. Yet, few are called to, to be preachers, ministers, but all are called to share the gospel with other people. It's written earlier in, in, this, uh, in his previous book. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Whatever you've learned, uh, he wrote to the Philippians, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And Thessalonians, he goes on, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Now, a particular area that Paul longed for the churches to follow him was in this concern to pass on the gospel to others about the Lord Jesus, that he is Lord. Have you ever wondered why the early church grew so fast in that first hundred years? It was because the churches were all taught pass on the gospel Rosie and I were thrilled when we went to China and saw the underground church there they've got this lesson they longed to pass it on to people they met no wonder the church is growing there in spite of opposition if you've read some of the Roman comments people like Pliny the Younger who arrested Christians and killed some. But what he said about them was fascinating. They wouldn't turn their back on Jesus. They wanted people to know that Jesus is Lord. Now, look at our passage, 4 verse 1. Who is the we? We have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Well, the obvious way to answer it, look back to the, the previous paragraph. It's the same we... We are being transformed into his likeness. Who's that? That's all Christians. Look, look on to 5.15. Who shouldn't live any longer for themselves? Who's that? Just the apostles? No. It's all of us. 
And if you look on in, our, in chapter 4, you can see that this is all about Christians. We have this treasure in jars of clay. You go right through it. It's all about all of us. Look at verse 14. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 14. Through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Who is the us? For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. <laughs> Modern aromatherapists have nothing on this. We are the aroma of Christ. Have you heard the story of Oscar Wilde uh, at the opening evening of the importance of being earnest as held in, in February in St. James's Theatre in London? Uh, it was a sellout. And after the performance, lots of people queued up in the foyer to congratulate Oscar Wilde. And he stood there shaking hands with everybody. However, the, in the queue, there's a man who didn't think very much of Oscar Wilde. And he had a rotten cabbage behind his back. As he came, shook hands with Mr. Wilde and gave him his gift that smelt to high heaven. Oscar Wilde quickly said back to him, thank you. Every time I look at this, I'll think of you. <laughs> We're all giving off an aroma one, some form of aroma or another. We will attract people to Christ or we'll put them off or we'll just be bland. The ministry of Christians is to proclaim the Lord Jesus that the apostles told us about. Now, this is tough because we all know that there are many people now who don't seem interested Yet, we persevere in trying to gracefully persuade people about the Lord Jesus because that's our commission. Our temptation today, as happens in many churches, is to change our emphasis, our message. You know, we, we emphasize entertainment, uh, great music, friendships. Even theatrical services with funny things going on. But Paul, uh, look at our chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. He says, no, I don't do those things. My job is to proclaim the word of God. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God, God's message to us. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So, churches, we must be attractive. We mustn't be boring. But the danger is we become reluctant to teach the Bible's message in case people disapprove and leave. We have to recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on in everyone. 
It's only the Lord Jesus who can remove the scales of spiritual darkness, this blindness from people's eyes. This is why if we're going to be effective in passing on the gospel to other people, we've got to pluck up courage and go over that red line, but then we've got to pray because it's a spiritual work. Look, look at chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. <laughs> we saw that walking down the street yesterday. They cannot see the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, now our, our ministry is very tough indeed, as the next verses go on. There's obviously many ways to introduce people to the Lord Jesus. And we've all got different gifts that can appeal to different people. But the real problem in churches in this country is perhaps a commitment to the task. Billy Graham, he wrote this. We in the churches are guilty of spiritual lethargy. Sometimes we sit around like overstuffed toads. And we croak and grunt at the right place with a sleepy amen and a weak alleluia. Oh dear. And Martin Luther King, <laughs> the civil rights leader in the States, he said this. If a man hasn't found something to uh, discover, something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Now, if all Christians had this devotion that Paul talks about, or that you can see in Ukrainian soldiers opposing the, rough, the Russian Revolution, how very different our churches would be. So, that's our ministry. And if you look through the chapter, you see the we is clearly every Christian. What about our urgency? If the gospel isn't passed on, the churches will die out within a generation. See, we're not called uh, to become Christians and then to decide whether we have the gift to pass the message on. No, we've all been given the Holy Spirit to enable us within our own personalities to pass it on, to be inviters, and to so, so glorify the Lord Jesus. Look, look at 4.13. It is written, I believed, yes I do believe, therefore I have spoken. That's the norm. It's our speaking, our invitations to others to consider the Lord Jesus that enables the gospel to spread to more and more people. No sharing suggests no caring. Why is this happening? Yeah. You know, G.K. Chesterton, the father Brown, uh, the, the author, he said this, What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has settled down upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man is meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been reversed. The, the evidence is all there. Jesus is Lord. 
if people only consider the evidence, the, the renowned Christian surgeon, uh, Sir James Simpson, who introduced chloroform for, as an anesthetic, he was once interviewed by a newspaper reporter who asked, Sir James, what's your most important discovery? But he's a Christian and not one to miss an opportunity. And he replied, I discovered that I was a sinner and that the Lord Jesus was my savior. See, this is the spirit, isn't it? The, the unction that we need to get back into our churches. You know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, he, he said to Christians who failed to make a clear, urgent stand for the Lord Jesus, you dare not because you have respect of persons. You fear the, the faces of men. You cannot because you have not overcome the world. You are not above the desire for earthly things. And it is impossible until you desire nothing more than God. You see, the scriptures call all of us Christians to fight the fight of faith. It is tough. Put on the full armor of God. And this includes having our feet shod with the gospel of peace. To go out, to share it. I remember when uh, studying for the, my final fellowship, the Royal College of Surgeons, I went down on an, an orthopedic course because I knew nothing about orthopedics and a concentrated two weekends. And we had a, a man called Graham Apley. He ran the course and he got lots of patients in and we examined them and then he presented them with their interesting signs. One patient was a retired soldier, General Sir Arthur Smith. He'd got a a stable, unhealed fracture of his tibia, you know, his shin bone. Uh, when Mr. Apley had finished uh, discussing the case, the general, who's aged 92 at this time, asked, could I say something to the chaps here? Uh, and this is what he, he, he said to us in his very military voice. He says, I sustained this injury when I was uh, hit by a piece of shrapnel at Ypres in the Battle of the Somme. My foot was just dangling about. I was taken to the field hospital at Nishan Hut and was put in the last bed at the end. Everyone was worried about my foot. They thought I'd have to lose it. But I asked them just to patch it up as best they could. Next morning, I read my daily light, which for those of you who don't know, consists of the Bible, God's word to us, by which I live my life. I read for that day these words. The Lord is thy confidence. He shall stop thy foot from being moved. The whole group of us just burst out laughing. You just imagine there's about 80 surgeons in training. But we were gripped by this, this man. And the general continued. At the base hospital, the doctor said, it'll have to come off. Not so, he said. And he explained why. 
And then he turned to us. He said, I have my foot to remind me of God's faithfulness. I do hope all of you young people will, have, will come to find that God is faithful and that you can trust him. He left the stage. Can you just imagine the conversations we had back in the train? You know, all in the carriage. They all talked about General Sir Arthur Smith, this old man who loved the Lord Jesus and longed that people should understand the gospel. So, our ministry, our urgency, and our perseverance. Look at verses 16 to 18. The, the Christian church has been commissioned with the task of making disciples of all men. And we've seen that the urgency makes this commission tough. However, inviting and talking with people brings glory to Christ and saves many. You'll see this week, people who've become Christians because people talk to them about Jesus. Oh, they say people aren't interested today. That's not true. They're not interested in church. But they've got the same problems that the Lord Jesus came to deal with. That only he can satisfy. We've got to keep thinking of new ways that we can show that the message about the Lord Jesus is utterly relevant to them. Yesterday, Beth encouraged some of us to uh, go out into Letchworth on the high street and give out some invitations. It was very depressing. No thanks, not interested. But there's one person, the schoolmaster, whose wife was an atheist. And we had a fantastic time. And by the end, she's saying, well, maybe there is a God. I'd like to come and hear how he's changed people. I'm looking forward to see if they turn up. But look at 16-17 here, 2 Corinthians 16. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary of troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. It is worth serving the Lord Jesus in this way. So, so Paul longs for all Christians to keep focused on the glory that's to come when we are standing in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Look at 18. So we, that's all of us, we fix our eyes not what on, on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's hard. But what is unseen is eternal. Consequently, we're all called to live increasingly Christ-like lives that include sharing the gospel to those around us. So the question is not, should we tell others about the Lord Jesus? Should we invite them? It is tough. You have to cross that red line. Are you a Christian yourself or aren't you sure? But how should we? It's not should we, but how should we tell people about the Lord Jesus? No, we've heard, we've got this wonderful opportunity this week with the Passion for Life. And thank you so much to all of you who 
I know have been inviting friends and family to come and join us. It's lovely talking to one girl yesterday uh, saying, you know, my elderly aunt gave me one of these invitations and urged me to come. What a great aunt. Isn't that lovely? Well, one thing I have learned, though, is that it's one thing to give out invitations, but the follow-up telephone call does wonders. I know several people have, are putting on a, a meal you know, before one of the evenings, inviting some friends or neighbours to come together, so that they come on as a group. But what an impact we could make in our society if all Christians in all our churches were committed to fulfilling Christ's commission. Let me finish with one story. Some years ago, there's a, a missionary Bible reading for students uh, in the Cambridge Union. There are two guest speakers, uh, each having half an hour allocated to them. The unfortunate thing was the first speaker spoke for uh, 57 minutes. The second speaker was the main speaker, Jim Brumhall. Uh, he had three minutes. He stood up, looked at the clock, and read his text. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. He looked at the clock again. I've just got time to tell you this once again. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. He sat down. But there was one young man, uh, his, uh, David Wheatley Price, who's really hit by that verse. And he decided to commit his life to telling people about the Lord Jesus. In fact, he went as a missionary to Kenya as a medical missionary. Some 10 years later, he went back to a missionary Bible reading in the Cambridge Union and told the same story. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. There are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. And there's a young medic there, Peter Pattison, who committed his life to telling people about the Lord Jesus. Interesting, he also went to Kenya as a medical missionary. He told me the story because when he was much older, he was back in general practice, and he invited, he and his colleagues, invited his patients and neighbours into an, an evening to hear the gospel being explained to them. And he told me that story. He certainly didn't want anyone to be ignorant of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much that we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, please help us to cross that red line. Lord, it's not easy, we know this. But please thrill us as we do this. We invite people to come for supper, to come and hear Roger Carswell and our guests. Lord, be with us, we pray. And fill us anew with the excitement of being your soldiers in a world that is increasingly opposed to your rule. For Christ's sake, amen.